This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everybody, for taking time to join us today. Welcome to the World of UX podcast. Special welcome to those of you who are listening for the very first time. Glad to have you. Uh, We are taking a bit of an interlude. I'm going to be flying solo, and we're going to have another potpourri session on today where I'm going to be talking about some specific topics that have come up, some things that are at front of mind right now, Uh, but we will be returning to our new UXR symposiums very soon. We even have a special instance where we're going to be featuring some mid-level UXR, some folks who've been around the the block a few times just to talk about their journey and just for us to talk about certain topics. And so you can hear what other people have to say about the discipline, so you can hear what other people have to say about their journeys their challenges, their successes, things that have happened to them that have helped them to succeed in UX today. So these have been really enlightening. A lot of folks have have expressed their their gratitude, their appreciation for these sessions being aired, and, and we're very excited to have done it and excited to continue. But for today, yeah, just got me. That's, <laughs> that's it. Uh, so let's dive in to our potpourri session on today. We've got a few topics that we're going to be covering, but before we get to those, we do have a couple of announcements that we want to present. One that I tend to neglect, and I want to make sure that we don't do that again on today. And another one, there's something special happening. Uh, This will air on Tuesday, June 27th. And then we have an event that I want to tell people about on Thursday, June 29th. I'm going to be leading a UX masterclass for the folks at the Interaction Design Foundation. So for those of you not familiar with them, they for a long time have been uh, keepers of the discipline. They've been keepers of a lot of treasures. There's been one consistent resource that is probably the most accessible point of contact and point of information that's available in the world of UX, and that's at interaction design The folks at the Interaction Design Foundation. I used to be the director of the Detroit chapter. They've always had a place in my heart. And uh, I I am going to be hosting that that masterclass talking about how to manage personal UX maturity. And that's going to be on Thursday, June 29th at 1130 a.m. Eastern time. So uh, for those of you that are, are interested, come on out and meet us there. And also... There are going to be people for those who have memberships and there are some other uh, criteria. If you if you're not a member, but you still want to see the recording later, go to the site, go to interaction design.org, look up their master classes and and you'll see information about what you need to do in order to access not only my session, but other sessions that they've held in the past. This is an absolute treasure chest of information. There are a lot of people in UX 
who are concerned saying that we don't have any any set definitions. We don't have any standards. It's interesting that the only people who feel that way are the people who really came along recently, and many of them have no interest in standards. Folks, we have standards. We have definitions. The Interaction Design Foundation actually has an encyclopedia of human-computer interaction. Go out there. Check it out. There are standards. There are definitions. And the more we speak the same language, so to speak, the more we can at least come close on the things that we that we embrace and that we uplift with regard to the discipline, it will really take us a long way instead of people coming in and rebranding things, instead of people coming in and pretending that we don't have any standards and then trying to create standards of their own. Folks, I talk about it all the time. The four pillars of UX are heuristics and usability, information architecture, UX research, and interaction and interface design. When you ground yourself in those four things and learn the inner workings of each one of those, it will vault you forward. It will help you to bring value in your organization. It will help you to drive wins for your users, for your business, for your teams, and you're going to be better off for it. When you try to redefine things that already exist, when you try to take things like psychological components and and then create a little graphic and throw a little graphic on top of something that existed for 25 years and then trick people into believing that something new has just been done, that's the kind of stuff that is creating problems for us today. When you when you have people who who talk about design thinking as if it didn't exist, the things that were going on in design thinking didn't exist, they did. A lot of people just call it design thinking. This is happening a lot in our discipline. And if you want to not only be successful, but if you want to help contribute to the health, the overall health of this discipline, you have to go back to the beginning. You need to understand the history. You need to understand those pillars. And when we can get more people to embrace those things, we're going to be in better shape. And, and I'm going to be talking about some of these things during the master class. I won't let too much out of the bag, but I'm not going to say too much that folks have never heard me say before. So please uh, um, come and check us out either live or you can get access to the recording. That's number one. Number two, from an announcement perspective, uh, this Friday is the UX Chit Chat Hour, which we're uh, headed towards, I believe, our fourth anniversary for the UX Chit Chat Hour. I, I, I lose count, but I, I think that's what how long we've been doing it, but it's really great. A lot of people see it as therapeutic. A lot of people see it as enlightening. A lot of people have learned things that have helped them go out and get jobs. Learn it, it, People have learned things to help them go out and represent themselves properly in the discipline. It is an, an, an enlightening, it is an enriching, and it is an intriguing two hours or so that you get to come and sit and have coffee house style chit chats conversations with people from around the world at different levels of seniority in the discipline, working at different types of companies. And, and there's nothing scripted. We don't have any set kind of a, a, of an agenda, just come out and talk. And when you come in, it's, it's not like coming to a zoom meeting. You come in and you actually take a seat at a, ta at a virtual table and after you take this seat at the virtual table, you engage in conversation with the people at that virtual table. And when you're done or you're ready to move, you just look at another table 
And you can see how many people are at all the other tables at any time. And you just go to another table and you dive in to that conversation there. People love it. I've had a ball uh, presenting it, hosting it. And and so I, I've never spent a lot of time talking about the UX Chit Chat Hour on the podcast, but I want to make sure to do that today. So come on out uh, and uh, there's no charge. It's just come and bring yourself and an appetite and be ready to share. It, it's it, be ready to learn, be ready, be ready to contribute. And and you're going to love it. And some people just come out and they just listen. And I usually hear from those people and they talk about how much they learn and, and how they never attended anything like that before. So come on out. As some people are trying to copy it these days. I know other people that are doing something similar. I'm not talking about them. I literally saw something recently where somebody said, yeah, come on out. I, I didn't know what coffee house style chit chat was. And so I started having coffee house style chit chats with somebody that was my mentor. And now I, I understand what, you know, like, Oh God, it, it's just amazing how people that, and that person has never been to a chit chat hour. So things are circulating, you know, if, if they're going to be better off for it, good. It, it's just amazing how there's so many people in UX who are more interested in celebrity achieving celebrity status than vaulting the discipline forward. If you listen to anything I'm saying at all, and if you have been listening for any length of time, you know that that's what this is about. I am trying to vault the discipline forward. I'm trying to help as many people as I can. I mentor and engage with people from all over the world. And it's for that one express purpose. It's not to achieve celebrity status. It's to vault the discipline forward for the good of everyone. That is our purpose. That's why we do this podcast. That's why we do the chit chat hour. That's why I teach at universities. Yeah, you get compensated for that, but that's not why I do it. I do those things because I want to vault the discipline forward. So I hope folks understand that. I hope they come and learn that. And and uh, hey, come check us out. You see for yourself. How about that? So let's get ready to dive in now. That's it for the announcements. Let's dive in to topic number one, shall we? Okay, topic number one. And this is a question that keeps coming up, and I find it interesting that this question keeps coming up. Uh, I've been seeing it a lot for the last three or four years. However, the way that it's been discussed in the last three months has had a different voice and tone to it. So I want to chime in here on the podcast about this topic, uh, give you my two cents, four cents, 10 cents, whatever it is, and and uh, then let the chips uh, settle where they may. Um, is UX really dying? Is it dying? Have you ever seen those, those medium blog posts? A lot of times written by people that are not UXers, by the way. Uh, they're not written by people. And, and please be careful engaging with people who do not have a history, uh, a knowledge of UX history, who do not have any true length of time practicing and then trying to speak about UX as if they've been around for 15, 20, 25 years. Uh, there's, I see people who've been around for a year, two years, and they're trying to talk as if they have some kind of detailed point of reference or perspective I've seen people, I saw somebody once that said, hey, I need to share this with you. Nobody's talking about this. And I let them know anytime I see it. Uh, Yeah, there are some of us talking about this. 
And apparently you're not aware of it. And and now people are going to listen to you when truth be told, you're, mm, you know, how about we just be frank about this? There's a lot of clueless people <laughs> trying to, they, they don't have perspectives and, and they don't have history. They really don't have knowledge of what they're talking about. And, and it's funny how when they say that, they, they get out there and they say things, they share perspectives, they speak with a lot of passion. Uh, they, they seem like they have a lot of energy, but energy and passion is not a substitute for truth, nor is it a substitute for, for true authority. If somebody, I mean, hey, when you see these people saying, making statements, is U.S. dying? U.S. is dying. Uh, go and look at their LinkedIn profile. You will immediately see two things. You'll be able to see how long they've been working in U.S., if they've actually been working, or, oh, I'm sorry, and where have they been working? Because how long a person has been working in U.S., and where they have been working in UX tells a story. When somebody has only been working at startups, it's not that some of the things, there's never in all the things they say have merit. That is impossible. Because if you've only worked at a startup, if a person has only worked at a startup, they only have perspectives based on working at startups. If somebody has been working at a large company, a Microsoft, an Amazon, anything like that, an IBM, but that's the only place they've worked. I've seen that before where people have been working at, at Microsoft for 10 and 15 years. They only understand UX from the perspective of working at that organization. And so it's interesting how people in UX lack critical thinking. You, you, we, When we get data, you're supposed to weight the data. Information that comes from one person uh, from person A and information that comes from person B, just because you have two people with two different perspectives and two sets of opinions, you cannot ascribe the same weight to those two individuals. We're supposed to know that in UX. That's how we process data. If you get information from somebody who's not a user of your product and service, and then you get information from another person who's an expert user both of them have some degree of merit, but the person who has the most experience, you have to weight their perspective, depending on what the question is, depending upon what you're looking at. You want to look at first impressions or you're looking at what people who don't have experience have to say, look at what the person who doesn't have any experience. If you want to see detailed information about uh, maybe you're doing a redesign and you're 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 talking to somebody and they're familiar with the old experience and now they get to evaluate the new now you you get to add weight the other person the newer person doesn't have insights why is it that when people post to twitter and they post to linkedin and they have their youtube videos they they have podcasts now anybody can start a podcast if somebody starts a podcast but they don't have a point of reference you got a problem on your hands and, and people don't understand that. You, you Just because you can start a podcast doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can record a YouTube video doesn't mean you should. And, and if they shouldn't, then we shouldn't be listening to them. And, and this is a sort of a, um, I'm digressing a bit here and sort of, sort of going off the beaten path and not talking about the topic at hand. But this is something that we need to, this needs to be cleaned up. But it can only be cleaned up when people stop being willing to partake of anything they find.
We have to be more selective about our sources. We have to be more selective about what we choose to quote unquote eat. We cannot just eat anything because it appears to be food. That is going to render problems. And that's one of the reasons why we suffer so much. But back to the topic. Is UX really dying, folks? Uh, the answer just flat out is absolutely not. And, and and what we see when this question comes up, no matter what people usually say behind it, when this question comes up in a blog post, in a, a LinkedIn post, and something that somebody's saying on Twitter, the people who were trying to say that UX is dying, I'm specifically talking about them when when we when we cover this topic. When people say that UX is dying, they think that it has no future. They think that what we did 10 years ago no longer has any merit, no longer has any value. It should no longer be of any concern. And and, uh, there was another, I think we mentioned this in one of the uh, symposium sessions, that there was an individual who said that UX changes every three or five years. Um. How can a person say that UX is changing every three or five years and they've only been doing UX for like six months? What is their point of reference? Where did they get that from? I'll tell you where they got it from. Nowhere. <laughs> they, they, they pulled it out of their rear is what they did because I've been doing what we now call UX since 1995. And the only thing that ever changes is form factors, where UX can be applied and mental models. Nothing else has changed. Now, so, is it really changing? No. Because that's when they say they're dying, that UX is dying, that's what they're trying to get at. They're trying to say that that, that it's changing. Is it really changing? Uh, well, the answer to that question is yes and no. UX is changing with regard to what people are trying to do with it. And I've been saying that UX is under siege since 2011, which is about the same time that the UX boot camps started, and I have to specify, I should start specifying UX boot camps more because boot camps work for developers, for people who are learning how to code. A boot camp is great because it's a finite science. UX is an infinite science, and so it doesn't work with the boot camp model. That, that's why a lot of people struggle, and there's a lot of problems associated with that. But UX has been under siege since 2011, and what we part of that siege, what we see in that siege is people trying to redefine it, as said earlier. What we see is people trying to present something as UX and it's not. Uh, when we when we see the, the massive growth in what we call product designer positions, a lot of those product designer positions, not all, but many of the product designer positions that are out there are nothing more than a siege related attack where folks are trying to hire somebody under the guise of UX, give them the, 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 the title of product designer, convert them into an order taker, and then just have them go and make things pretty. They're basically glorified UX designers with the title of product designer, which a lot of people assume is UX. And, and I've had the product designer title before, but when I had that title, I did UX work. There were people on our team that had the title and they were doing UX work. Our director was was handling things from a UX perspective. So 
it, it the titles, let's not get caught up in the titles, but at the same time, we need to acknowledge the titles because there's something being communicated in the title. And in a case such as this, the the product designer is a siege component. So UX is not changing. There are people that are trying to or subjecting UX to a siege and trying to commandeer it and turning it into something that it's not. So when I say yes and no, it's dying from the perspective of those individuals that are trying to to basically hijack it. They're hijacking. You know, one of our our frequent guests, uh, Karen Lynn, talks about uh, UX erasure. They're trying to erase UX, but there are people such as myself, and I know a lot of people that are completely committed to and intent on practicing UX properly because you have pure UX and you have the cult of UX. You have real UX and then you have people that if this was a medical field, they'd be guilty of malpractice because what they're doing and what they're saying is not UX at all. And a lot of those people, they're easy to spot because when you start talking about pure UX, they get hostile. They they, they can't participate in the conversation. Some of them will crack jokes because I found some people crack jokes because they have nothing else to offer. So they crack jokes and, you know, I usually can spot that pretty quickly, pretty easily. But at the end of the day, they usually get hostile and they, they, they cannot really coexist with real UX practitioners. So UX is not dying. Real UX, the no, is that real UX still exists. There are people who still practice it. There are people who are still dedicated to it. And that's why you have to be careful where you go when you get a UX job, because just because somebody posted a UX job does not mean that they want a UX practitioner. And so you have to do your best to try to identify what you're actually getting into. And then that question then becomes relevant again. When somebody says, is UX dying? Um, The answer to that question is, If you look at organizations only, the answer is different because in some organizations, UX is not allowed to live in some organizations, even when they have UX roles and UX jobs, UX is not allowed to operate. You're not allowed to practice UX at some organizations, even when you have a UX title. And it's really sad. I've seen them. I've been in them. I know a lot of people that are in them, been in them. And, and you really have to work to identify that during the interview process because many of the companies where this is happening have no idea that is happening. The people that you're interviewing with, they're not going to tell you that, <laughs> that, oh, yeah, this is a full position that you're applying for. We really don't need a UX person. We just need somebody to fill, fill the seat. You'll do. That's what a lot of companies are actually doing. So it's pretty scary. So. Bottom line, UX is not dying, but if you want to keep it alive, you have to make sure that you're practicing UX of the truth. And then we go from there. All right. That is it for that topic. Let's move on to topic number two. So for topic number two, there's a question that comes up a lot. Uh, People have asked me a lot and the question is, or the topic, I should say, the, 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 what it is that these, all these questions, because they come about in different ways. People ask them in different ways. But let's talk for a few minutes about standing out. Can you really do anything 
to stand out when you're trying to get a job? Can you really do things to, to anything to stand out when you're competing against 50, 100? Yeah, 200, 300 people. What can you do to stand out? We need to back that up a little bit. Instead of thinking about what a person can do to stand out, um, let, let's examine the concept of standing out. And let's look at the legitimacy of that concept because I, I firmly uh, stand on, from, on the perspective, on the, 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 the soapbox, if you will, that standing out is a worthless concept that really it has no merit. It's something you really can't do, and, and it, it distracts from what you should be doing. So before we get into the weeds with this, let me point something out. If you're going to operate in UX, you need to excel at your craft. You need to learn your craft. You need to understand how your craft fits into the organization where you work. You need to understand what you bring to the table. You need to understand your personal UX maturity level. Ah, that's what we're going to be talking about on Thursday with IDF. <laughs> um, you need to understand what's going on in the discipline and how you represent the discipline. Now, standing out has nothing to do with any of that. However, if you commit to those things and you do grow properly and you do learn UX properly and you operate properly, you will be seen as a more valuable individual you can then have a greater value proposition than someone else. People just say stand out. Isn't it it really overly subjective and weak when you really think about it? Do you want to stand out or do you want to have a strong value proposition? Do you want to stand out or do you want to be extremely skilled at the discipline? Isn't it interesting that people keep talking about standing out, but they never talk about these things? And, And another big thing about this whole standout mindset is that it is extremely temporal. People are interested in standing out when their portfolio is being reviewed. They're interested in standing out when somebody's looking at their resume. They're interested in standing out, you know, you name it, just go right down the line and you can you can come up with other, other examples where this is applicable. But I have never seen a person that put standing out on a pedestal that was interested in doing any of the other things that I just mentioned. If you want to be the person who gets a job, if you want to be the best candidate, you need to be the most skilled, have the greatest value proposition and be the best fit for the organization and for the team. How do you stand out? You don't, you can't as a hiring manager. And I've told this story before where HR And I couldn't go online and look at these. It had to be done in the flesh. And HR came out and brought me a stack of about 300 resumes. And I've asked people before, put yourself in my shoes. You're sitting at your desk. HR comes and brings you a stack of 300 resumes. Freeze frame. With a stack of 300 resumes sitting on your desk, who stands out? Nobody. When you're going through them one by one, What gets the attention of the hiring manager? Uh, How about alignment with the job posting? How about being qualified? How about having a strong value proposition? See, standing out is weak. 
it's weak. And, and interestingly, when you stand out, don't forget, we, we assume that the hiring managers and the people we're engaging with when we're trying to get a job, that they all know what they're doing. In the vast majority of the time these days, they don't. There are a lot of non-UXers running UX teams. Recruiters don't understand anything about UX. Companies will send people who just got literally just got hired the day before to your interview. So they have almost nothing to really share with you. They're just checking a box by sending somebody. I, I've seen it before. I know other people who've seen that and been subjected to that before. When you stand out to people who don't know what they're doing, what is that really worth? And can they really tell that you stand out or do they just like you? It, has this been reduced in many instances to a personality contest? It, it actually has. It actually has. Do you know that a lot of people who conduct interviews don't know how to conduct interviews? So again, we assume that people in the interview know what they're doing, but a lot of times they don't. And then to make matters worse, if you stand out, quote unquote, to somebody who has low to no UX maturity, wow, what does that say about what's going to happen to or with you over the course of the next six to 12 months? If you get that far, because you, if they have a low to no UX maturity level in an organization, you really, do you really want to be there? I, I'd say no. I know if you need a job, you need a job, but who in the world wants to be a UX practitioner in a company that does not value UX, does not understand UX, doesn't know what to do with you, how to treat you, how to engage with you, how to set you up for success. When you go to an organization with low to no UX maturity level, that's exactly what you're going to find. <laughs> so, so be careful about this whole standout thing. It, it, it's so ridiculous. And it's funny again, 28th year for me and, and just using those people's uh, vernacular. I can't stand out at the vast majority of companies that I engage with. If I can't quote unquote stand out, when I can do everything on every job description, you know, except for the coding, because they, they, they don't, again, but these people, they don't know how to even write job description, but you know what I'm saying? If, if I can't quote unquote stand out, but somebody with two years of experience can, what does that tell you about that organization? Some really crazy stuff. So, so let, let's take the standout thing and throw it out. Let's trade it in. Let's trade it in. Trade that Yugo. Some of you remember what a Yugo is. Take that 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 Yugo in your mentality and trade it in for a Lamborghini. Let's take that Yugo and trade it in for a BMW. Let's trade it in for a Bentley. You get my drift? Let, let, let's, let's replace it with something that has more uh, stick-to-itiveness, more viability, more credibility, because standing out, it, it doesn't. It doesn't, folks. <laughs> and, and interestingly, it's not just me. A lot of people who have a lot of skill, who have a lot of UX experience, do not stand out. Again, we're hated, we're despised, and we're rejected. And, and that's the norm in UX circles today. So let's 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 drop the whole standout thing, folks. It, it it doesn't really have any value. All right, let us move on to our last topic for today, shall we? Our last topic for today 
involves this practice these days of sanctioning unauthorized voices. I I sort of started off and when we were talking about uh, the question of is UX dying, I sort of touched on this a little bit, but I just keep seeing this more and more and more. And and I am connected to some people who are actually uh, doing both of the things that I'm about to address. Uh, Remember, I'm here for the good of the discipline. I care about the state of the discipline five years from now. I care about it. The state of the discipline 10 years from now. I care about it. And I am aware of the things that happen in the world of UX and the impact that those things will have on the discipline. And when you have people who are, they they want to help others, that's nice. But, you know, I mean, and I've seen people in life who want to help people. And it's nice to have a heart that you want to help. But the critical thinking component should kick in. Everybody, you ever seen somebody who wants to help, but they're really not in a position to help? And the best thing they can do to help is to stand back and let other people who are qualified and who are equipped and have the the physical, the mental, and emotional makeup chime in on something so that things can actually get done the right way. Uh, This is part of what we're seeing in UX today. There's a lot of people, some of them, they genuinely, they're not trying to be celebrities. There are some people who just want to help. Hey, I think people in UX want to learn about this. I think people in UX learn about this. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to tell them about it. Um, Here's the problem. And we'll get to what I'm actually trying to address in the topic. The problem with that, so this is a freebie, this is an add-on. The problem with that is that people who are new to UX, when they see these voices, they tend to latch onto them because just because a person is new doesn't mean that what they're sharing isn't true. It, it's the it's the Trojan horse component associated with it. Because, okay, you said something that's true, never and we won't even really get into the fact that a lot of the things that these people share, they actually got from somebody else. So instead of pointing people to the source, uh, they'd rather have them. They don't understand that they're setting people up for failure because people are starting to look to them and they really don't have anything to offer you because everything they're, they're repeating, they got it from somewhere else. They either studied it somewhere else, heard some, somebody else somewhere talk about it. And as long as they're pushing content, it works. Because, hey, if the content is good, it's good. If it's true, it's true. If it has value, it has value. If by practicing what these people are are peddling to me works, you know, there's some good. Whether we like it or not, there's good that's going to come out of that. However... Again, that's when people are pushing content. When the time comes to for people to pull content and they go to those same individuals, and I'm going to mention something that's really, really sad, and I've witnessed it a lot. When people go to those same people to pull information, those same people, they have been so, so dedicated in getting information out, but they never operate in a level of scrutiny that lets them know 
inform them when they should not do something or when they should stop. And I have seen people, and by, by push and pull, push means that you're putting the information out. Pull means that other people are coming to get the information from you on demand. When people go to these people who are not equipped and they try to pull information, many of them lack the integrity, the critical thinking, or and or the emotional intelligence to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that. We should get some, let's reach out to somebody else. And I have seen people, I have witnessed people on many an occasion who in that type of a scenario will then, because they don't want to be embarrassed because they don't know, will say literally anything that comes to mind. And, and, and it is, it's that kind of stuff that sometimes leaders hear it or people hear it. The, the baby birds, the newer UXers who eat anything that anybody puts out there. And that's not a slam against New York UXers. I, I used to be the same way. It was just that when I was coming up, there was no misinformation in UX. So you could take in anything and you were going to be, you're going to be better off for it. But it's not like that today. And I heard somebody say once, and I talked to this individual too. A person was, was giving a presentation about UX research. And the person said, you know, uh, somebody was asking them a question about about which UX types, of, which types of methods you could use in a certain situation. Some kind of question came up on that line. And the person said, instead of like just deferring and say, well, I don't really have an answer for that one. You know, get back with me later. I'll check it out and get back. Instead of doing anything like that, the person started, he went and answered the question. What he said was inaccurate. And that part I don't remember, but what I do remember, which was the real crazy part about this this discussion, the answer was incorrect. Then he turned around right after that, literally right after that, and he said, if anybody, you're talking to anybody about UX research, and that person claims that they're good at more than two or three methods, if I remember correctly, the number three is standing out. To me, it was on this line. I might, I, it might be three or four, but it was on this same line. It doesn't matter. Basically, he said, if anybody says, so I'm going to paraphrase it as best I can. If anybody is good at more than approximately three UX methods, that person is a liar. And I heard the person saying this, and I went, oh my goodness. And there were so many new UXers. At this event, there were so many new UXers who were who were just gobbling up anything that was being presented. And I didn't want to, I've been at, at, at talks before, I've given talks before where somebody didn't like something I was saying and so they started holding a, a separate conversation in the chat. I'm not going to do that in the chat. That's, that's lowbrow, that's low class. That's an act of a troll. I'm not going to do that. I just had to, hmm. Matter of fact, I went back and talked to that individual. I said, you know, you said X, Y, and Z. And he said, yeah, I misspoke. I shouldn't have said that. The person admitted it. He admitted that what he said was inaccurate. He admitted that it was misleading. He admitted that it was going to cast aspersions because I can name off 10 different research methods right now that I'm comfortable at and good at doing. Am I a liar? No. Was he lying when he said it? Yeah, and he admitted such. 
But for the people who heard, who actually heard the presentation, did he go back and apologize to them? No. Did he go back and say, I misspoke? I talked to Darren and I misspoke and I wanted to let you folks know. Because I told him, I said, one day I'm going to talk about this. So this is that day. I'm going to talk about this on my podcast. And the people who listen to you and listen to me, they're going to hear what I said and they're going to remember what you said. And they're going to start looking cross-eyed at you. He just took it in and... And that was it. There are too many people in UX today who have that same mentality. There are too many people in UX today who are willing to say things that they know are not true. They just don't care because many people are trying to reach celebrity status in UX today. But now let's get directly into the topic that I brought up. There are people just like that individual who they go around, they campaign with folks, they have a lot of passion, feel really strongly about things. And I've heard, I've heard them. And they have passion. And what they're saying, you know, it's like the sky is green. See, I could say that with passion, can I not? But we know the sky is blue. So basically speaking, so just because somebody has passion doesn't mean that what they're saying is basically substantive. It doesn't mean that it's trustworthy or reliable or accurate. And there are people who, because we live, and I talk about this a lot, we live in the age of extreme cowardice where people are afraid to take a stand for anything because they don't want anybody to label them as a Debbie Downer or uh, or anything like that. And people are so addicted to, there's one thing for people to be addicted to drugs. There's a lot of people addicted to other things it may as well be a drug because people are addicted to toxic positivity. <laughs> They're addicted to Pollyanna mindsets. And, and so because of that, people, they encounter some of these people. They actually hear them say ridiculous things. They see them do ridiculous things, but they're afraid to take a stand against the individuals that are saying and doing these crazy things, especially in UX. Because as I always say, we can't afford that. Somebody will say, well, Darren, what about outside of UX? Not my domain. I'm trying to help UX survive. I'm trying to help UX thrive. So I'm concerned about how it impacts UX. You can talk about the other stuff all you want. I'm addressing UX. And when you have these people, these unsanctioned voices, these people who do not speak with authority, these people who are not accurate, I heard somebody say one day, he said, you know what? We never know how to predict anything. We never have any predictions. That person has been around UX for a proverbial three minutes, has no idea what other people have predicted, has no idea what people have said, especially over time. And they just want to be a voice. And, And so you have that person and people like them who are out here trying to gain an audience. And then you've got these people who suffer from cowardice, who make it a point to, because they're afraid to say no, to tell them to talk to the hand. They're afraid to do that. And they give them platforms to share their foolishness. It's absolutely insane. And remember, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, where will UX be? If folks who already have and appreciated and and, and 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 an understood and a voice of value 
in the discipline, and then you lend your platform, they lend their platform to these people who know nothing about the discipline, basically signing off on them and telling people, listen to what this person has to say when you know that you've you've taken what they offered you and thrown it in the garbage on multiple occasions. That's not good for the discipline. It's not good for the discipline today. It's not going to be good in the discipline five for the discipline five years from now. The impact that it has 10 years down the road, if it's not checked, it doesn't look good. And, and if we want the discipline to be in better shape, we have to be better. We have to be more careful about who we sanction, who we approve. Very dangerous stuff, folks. Very dangerous stuff. We have to be careful. And, you know, sometimes it, I have to be careful myself. I have a podcast. You know, and I, I somebody, you know, somebody made a statement about how that they are mentoring people. But wait a minute. Why are you mentoring? You, you just started doing UX. You can't be a mentor yet. That's called arrogance. You're not there yet. You need to go. I mean, it's amazing. I was quiet for 17 years, folks. 17 years. You couldn't pay folks to be quiet as long as I was. Some people can't be quiet for 17 minutes, let alone 17 years. This is hurting the discipline. It is hurting the discipline and folks need to, who are, a lot of people who are, in, who are intent on being voices need to have a seat. People who are giving for folks a, a, a platform for their uh, unsanctioned voice, if you will, their error-laden voice, that needs to be, that needs to stop. Uh, there, there's so much today as we, as we get ready to wrap up, and I'll pick up next week. We'll have another Potpourri session next week. Uh, people who think UX is dying, it's not. It's dying where you live. You know why? Because you're not taking a stand for it. But even if UX dies with you and at your company, UX is still alive. And if all of us turn our back on it, UX is still alive. Somebody has to take a stand for it. I am going to practice real UX. And it doesn't matter what anybody appreciates or doesn't appreciate. And I've worked at companies where they tried to basically bury me <laughs> because I was willing to practice UX accurately. I was willing to practice it of a truth. And there were people who would stand against you tooth and nail because of that. UX is in great shape. Basically speaking, it just needs more people to stand up for it and embrace it for what it is. And if we do that today, five years from now, 10 years from now, we'll be happy. We'll be in a good state. And so will our, our users, our stakeholders, our clients, our businesses, our teams. Everybody will be in great shape, but we got to take a stand for the discipline the right way. Folks, that, that is all the time I have for today. I, I don't know why I thought I was going to get through all of these topics, uh, but we will pick up where we left off. So until next time, it is time to sign off. This is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. Until next time, Happy UXing, everybody.
Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.